welcome to the Birth Activists podcast, hosted by me, Becky Scott, and fellow doula and activist, Samantha Gadsden. Welcome back to the Birth Activists podcast. Today I have Samantha and Heather with me. Good morning, Heather. How are you? Morning. All good, thank you. Happy to be here. Fabulous. I've just realised it's the afternoon. I see. I just don't know where I am right now. <laughs> Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Becky. Hi, Heather. (laughs) Right. So we've got Heather with us today. Heather is a mum of one. She's based in Cardiff. And I'm not going to sit and chat about this too much because I'm going to let Heather tell her story. Um, You've already written written an article and and it's all out there in the public domain already. But you'll come onto the podcast just to sort of let us know about what's been going on with you and and your journey. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm just going to hand over to you, Heather. Go for it. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so I guess I guess start um, at the beginning of the journey, um, which for me was very much um, the beginning of pregnancy. Um, you know, like most women before that, I hadn't given birth much thought. Um, I assumed it was was this like horrific thing that just happened to women, and we kind of had to endure and get through if we wanted children. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm a massive massive over preparer um, and I overthink everything. Um, so as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I just began reading everything I could get my hands on, um, and that was really eye opening. Um, I realised that that pregnancy and birth is actually much more kind of nuanced. There's a lot more choices. Um, it it's not just this kind of medicalised journey from from A to B. Um, and really began kind of questioning and being really curious um, and making my own own kind of decisions and finding my own way, um, which ultimately led um, to me realizing that I'd, I'd be most comfortable um, with a home birth, um, ideally supported um, by a doula who was Sam, um, and uh, yeah, trying to kind of move away from too much kind of medical intervention just because that didn't sit right with me um and that that was an interesting kind of journey through pregnancy um I was making quite straightforward decisions um things like refusing um fundal measurements because I wasn't interested in in um kind of having a misinterpretation of the growth of my baby and that potentially yeah. leading to difficult conversations around induction. Um, so I, I just refused to kind of engage with that part um, and instantly kind of saw the kind of level of coercion that can exist. Um, mm. The midwife literally ran from the room as if I was putting my baby in immediate danger and called in yeah. kind of the cavalry to try and persuade me to let her, her measure my bump wouldn't wouldn't kind of listen to the research or um, reasons I have behind refusing that um, and I noticed things like that increasingly creep into my care which made me more and more convinced that a home birth was the right option and that I needed mm-hmm. to be in my own space and kind of have um, my own power um, so yeah had the had the home birth um, and that was it was incredible it was really oh. calm uh, really peaceful um, really safe um, and I was basically I had I had my own space to to bring my son into the world really beautifully um, and but but even even through that process it took quite a lot of work um, keeping the midwives away from me they wanted to 
send me in, transfer me into hospital because labor was moving slowly than they would like, even though the whole thing was only 12 hours. Um, but they, they were keen to transfer me in to, uh, you know, speed things up. Yeah. Um, one of, the, uh, one of the very first things they asked me was about talking about transfer. With, like they've been there. They weren't talking about transfer straight away, but they wanted to know when Heather was prepared to transfer. It was like, then they're yeah. giving away their agenda straight away then by saying that uh, because I know Heather I was able to say she, and, and they did accept it you know she'll talk about it if it becomes necessary not yeah. now yeah Heather worked really hard to keep them out the room and Heather's husband even more oh bless him <laughs> yeah yeah so that that was really like um uh between between Sam and Rob my other half um really kind of protected my my birth space which was great um, but then my baby arrived, had arrived, um, and I was kind of like, phew, okay, that's that's that done. I can let my guard down. I can relax now. Um, and that's when things went really wrong. Oh. Um, so I wanted a physiological third stage, um, but but I guess the midwives weren't familiar um, or... I'm not I'm not sure what happened but they were kind of palpitating and tugging on my cord and um doing things that I think ultimately so I, I ended up with a postpartum hemorrhage um and I suspect that them doing all of that without syntocin is probably what caused it yeah um and Can they didn't really say, kind of for mm, anybody who's listening to this normally I would be right by Heather's head so this wouldn't have happened, but it was some, it was, I'm not going to go into details, but it was to do with the layout of the room when I wasn't as close as I would have been physically, normally. Mm. And so also just to point out that physiological third stage delivery of the placenta is without an injection or without any interference and shouldn't involve any kind of tugging no. or pulling or traction on the cord at all. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. On, yeah. Which, which I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, really cross with myself actually because I'd done all this kind of preparation but I'd kind of stopped at the birth of the baby yeah. um and I I wish I'd kind of thought beyond that a little bit more because what I also allowed to happen was the disruption of that birth space so you know the lights came on um cold air came into the room as people were trying to sort out the my partner was trying to empty the birth pool and it quickly became kind of cold and loud and bright um and that that just wasn't conducive to that kind of hour with my baby I, I have no doubt that also probably contributed to to having the hemorrhage yeah. um so I didn't kind of realize that I was bleeding badly for for a few hours so everyone had left um, and then I realized I was in a bad way um, called the ambulance and, and transferred in but because of COVID rules had to go without Ted um, because I couldn't physically look after him and my partner wasn't allowed to accompany me so I had to leave Ted at home um, and terrible. go in alone mm. yeah I was so so cruel mm. um and then, and then, you know, then things like I just ceased to exist as as a human. Um, I was I was just like this slab of meat that needed dealing with. Uh, I wasn't treated with kind of any dignity or respect. I was straight into stirrups, left unnecessarily uncovered, even when they were kind of getting the team around. And mm. 
and then um, agreed to um, a procedure under general anesthetic. So they were worried about my blood pressure dropping on a spinal block. So wanted to give me a general and I was happy with that because I was, I was really terrified of the intrusiveness of an examination anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that suited me. Um, but then got into theatre and they announced that actually they decided to do it under spinal block which I really didn't want um, and hadn't consented to, um, but kind of, well, I fought pretty hard against it actually, um, but was completely ignored um, and overridden and it happened. Kind of without so I my think Helen, in that situation when you know you're without your partner, you're without your doula, without anyone to support you in that place, and surrounded by healthcare professionals, vulnerable because obviously you're bleeding and, and you're at that point medically uh, needing attention, then you know it's it's not the ideal situation to want to be fighting for anything, is it? No, no. And I mean, I was I was in a really bad way. I was um, mm. shaking and cold and, you know, I must have been in a bit of shock. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't really think. Um, and, when, when did uh, this yeah, happen? Then, Heather? Was this, was this at the, the beginning of the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic, was it um, when this happened? Uh, so it was February last year. So yeah, what, I think that was what our, our second our second lockdown. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah this happened yeah. to you because you were on your own yeah, yeah. i just said that sam yeah it's just obviously sam's just left the room briefly and come back but <laughs> we, we my charges, sorry. That, you know that's fine it's just that you know we just said to, to heather that obviously the fact that she didn't have a partner with it she didn't have a doula with it and she's in an incredibly vulnerable state yet um was having to fight for for what she wanted and actually in the end didn't get that general anaesthetic. You had a spinal in the end. So do you want to just pick up from there? Yeah, so I mean, I just, and it, it will continue to kind of haunt me as, as one of the most traumatic things that have happened to me mm. because um, I was basically physically kind of overridden and I'm just lying there now kind of paralyzed from the waist down whilst really intrusive things are going on in, in the most intimate of places. Um, and basically, I was just lying there humming to myself to try and block it all out, wondering where my baby was and, and how he's doing. Um, and surrounded by just, I, I guess it felt like a whole whole bunch of really cold robots. It, mm. it was, and that, that kind of really clear memory will stay with me forever. Um, but you know that I got through it; it was fine. Um, and then I was well enough the next morning for for Ted to join me in hospital. Oh, and and insanely, even at that point, my partner was not allowed in, so he could not bring Ted to me, um, and had to hand him over at reception. Um, but then, because of the way things are, like they didn't. They, reception didn't talk to the maternity ward or whatever and this baby turned up and they had no idea who it belonged to and I could hear them oh wandering the corridors trying to work out who this baby belonged to knowing it was mine that's <laughs> that is awful that is terrible so not only have you been separated from your baby and your partner your partner couldn't actually put that baby into your hands when bringing it to the hospital it was passed over no. to a random stranger to wander the corridors trying to find you 
Yeah. And then my partner was obviously really worried about me too, because the last time he'd seen me, I'd, I'd kind of fainted and was being wheeled out into an ambulance. Yeah. He, he'd had, um, they didn't ring him for, for ages. So he'd gone hours without knowing whether I was oh, even still goodness. alive. So I imagine um, he, he's maybe feeling traumatised from the situation as well then. Yeah, I mean, he's he's um, super calm and kind of level-headed, um, but he was he was stressed in that moment not to be yeah. able to come and see me and check check I was all right, which says a lot for him to 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 have been emotional about that. Yeah. Um, but then um, I kind of I, I was on the cusp of needing a transfusion, but but turned it down because I was just desperate to get home. Um, I yeah. managed to get get us both discharged pretty quickly. Um, but then <laughs> ended up back in hospital um, because Ted Ted needed um, some phototherapy treatment for jaundice, um, which was the beginning of kind of another horror story. Um, so I was, I was happy for him to go in and have the phototherapy, um, although in hindsight, his levels were just just on the threshold. And by the time we got to hospital, it dropped below the threshold. Um, but they continued with the treatment anyway. And but This I mean, is I guess... a really important point for what follows. Your baby did not even need treatment. No, no, but the kind of protocol is that they, they give it anyway. And, you know, at the time I was kind of like, well, fine. Um, I don't think this is necessary, but he was happy enough under the lights and it wasn't causing us any particular drama. So I was like, okay, we'll, we'll go with this. Mm. Um, but then the next day when he, he had been under there about eight hours, I think, um, and they did another test and it dropped well below. I was like, great, we're, 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 we're good to go home. Um, and then they said, no, you've got to wait another 12 hours to do a follow-up blood test, um, which would have been another night in hospital. Oh. Um, and by this point, I hadn't slept in, I think it must have been, I hadn't slept in about five nights. I hadn't oh, eaten. Gosh. I was I was still really weak from the hemorrhage. Um, I just needed, I needed my partner's support to look after the baby. I needed to be at home. Um, so I said, no, I'm not staying overnight for this blood test. Either the community midwives can do it or I'll bring him back in. Yeah. Um, and they said, they said no. And I said, okay, um, but I'm, I'm leaving. And they said, you can't leave. And I said, well, I am leaving. <laughs> um, uh, then they were like, oh, well, we're going to have to report you to social services. Um, and I was like, okay, <laughs> fine, oh you do that. Um, I'm still leaving. And here I've got to say, I'm, I'm really fortunate that when they threatened to report me to social services, I can brush that off. Like I have, I'm, I, you know, I've got um, like well-educated, I'm in like reputable employment. I'm, yeah. I'm really fortunate that I, I can brush all of that off. Many, like many women, that would have been a really severe threat that could have had really severe consequences. So yeah. I, I really feel for, for the women that can't just be like, well, I don't well, care. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went to leave anyway, and then they refused to unlock the doors. Uh, <laughs> so then I tried to slip out behind someone coming in and the midwife got in front of me and closed the door on me. Um, and then that's when they called security. Um, and three big burly men turned up and just blocked my path and refused to let me leave. Oh my um, God. Yeah, and then I realized I was being held captive. Me and my baby were being held captive on, on the maternity ward. Um, and I was just in 
utter disbelief. Um, mm -hmm. Like I know, I know my legal rights. I knew that without a court order, they couldn't detain either of us. And I made that very clear to them. I was explaining to them that. Um, so they they were they were under the impression that I could leave, but Ted couldn't because they had a duty of care for Ted. Um, which even though he didn't actually incorrect. need, even though he didn't actually need the treatment. No, no, neither of us, neither of us were receiving treatment at this point. <laughs> all of this, we were just waiting. This, yeah, but it's just is because you needed a blood test, or they wanted you to have a blood test, which is debatable whether he needed in twelve hours' time. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. treatment, and I know because I know which trust this is about, and I know some of their community midwives. I know categorically and without hesitation that if they had asked a community midwife describing what you'd already been through with the hemorrhage and everything else and being separated, the one of the community midwives would have come out and done that test. 100%, yeah. I think in most trusts that would have been the case. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they have omitted, so I, I put in a big complaint after this. Um, <laughs> like I, I went through the formal processes and they, they admitted that the only reason they ask, they ask um, babies to wait in hospital is for administrative ease. Um, oh my there's no, god there's no medical reason or that's just um, not acceptable is it it's just oh my I, you know yeah <laughs> i may swear a lot if i carry on <laughs> go on heather you carry on with your story <laughs> so no so it's just i'm just in this absolute mad situation where i've asked i've told my partner what's going on so he's downstairs waiting yeah. to pick us up um he's not allowed entry I'm not allowed exit and and you know this was really stressful for him to have yeah. to stand downstairs knowing that me me and Ted were being held hostage by three men um and you can imagine like the level of self constraint it took for him to stand outside those doors and wait yeah. but had he yeah. stepped foot in that hospital he instantly would have been in the wrong um so he had just had to stand there and wait for us to be allowed to be released um I, and emailed, I, just... I emailed every senior midwife whose email address i had in the hospital and not one of them even replied to me oh. while all of this was going on sorry heather <laughs> yeah and i was just i was so helpless because i i was explaining to them what they were doing was illegal um and they just weren't listening um and i just I just had to kind of negotiate my way out of there and agree that to all these like different conditions and really stand my ground. Um, and eventually they, they let me go. Um, but yeah. And then, and then my partner took him back in later for, for the blood test because I, I couldn't, I just couldn't face bringing myself back into that. Situation. I was, I was too scared to come back into the hospital. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Heather, that is just absolutely ridiculous. I just, my mind boggles at that. And what do they think you were going to do? Three burly to, to merit three burly men to stop you from leaving. You know, you just had major right. major surgery. You've got a, a new baby. Well, they reckon you were just going to make a mad dash for it. <laughs> I know. I know exactly. I like that. That was me at my most weakest and most vulnerable. Um, yeah. and, and they decided to manage that by, by putting three huge men in front of me um, that obviously weren't interested in anything I had to say because they, they were working on behalf of the hospital. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I have quite a question in my complaint as well, what on earth they were thinking. And they said, well, the child abduction protocol had been had been enacted. So we had to follow through with that. That's we were told you're abducting a baby. And that's what oh, I was told as well. I was told that by trying to with Ted, I was abducting him. Oh my god. Did threaten you with the police as well at one point? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I was saying, I'm going to have to call the police if you don't let me go. And they were like, good, because we're going to need them ourselves. I'd have called them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the police have been like, what the hell's going on? That's just ridiculous. Well, you can't trust, you can't trust that. Oh. And, and you know what? What I, I was incredibly upset on Heather's behalf, and this is Heather's story, so I'm not going to say too much. But what shocks me about Heather's story, unfortunately, is not that it happened it shocks me that it happened to nice, white, middle-class, well-educated mm. Heather. Because I know this stuff happens in that trust. Yeah. yeah? I never yeah. in a million years imagined it to happen to you, Heather. Oh, do you know, and that that is really what bothers me the most about this experience. I'm like, if, if that happened to me, if I face so much coercion, yeah. if I face so much illegal treatment, then what on earth is happening to, to, to other women? You know, like, um, if, if I was black, I'd be five times more likely to die in childbirth. If I was yeah. from a, a lower socioeconomic background, um, if I was a single young mum or, or, or yeah. whatever, how how much worse would I have been treated? How like and it just makes me wonder how on earth women are faring in this in in this system and what mm. stories aren't we hearing? What sto stories are we not hearing from the women that don't have the the time, resources, or power to advocate for themselves or, yeah. or put complaints in? It's terrifying. What's happened with your complaint, Heather? So they um, they would. Um, fully owned up to it which I think says a lot about the severity of the issue um, they admitted all wrongdoing uh, apologized profusely um, and promised to put kind of new guidelines and, and training in place um, I, I hope that's happened um, mm. I'm not sure I, I, I'm, I'm glad that they they there was that level of recourse but but really for me there can be kind of no there, there actually can't be any kind of resolution because nothing takes away from the fact that that happened mm. and nothing gives me back those first few hours and days of motherhood yeah yeah absolutely it's just abhorrent to think that you were treated that way, yeah. that your baby was taken away from you. You weren't able to, to hold him for that time. And then when you did have him, you were just held captive within the hospital for no reason whatsoever and treated like a criminal. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's been really interesting for me to kind of experience both sides of of how birth can be um because on mm. the one hand i've i experienced this really beautiful empowering home yeah. birth and then on the other side I've, I've experienced the very worst of what what medical intervention can lead to yeah. um and that that i mean that has been a bit of a, a kind of positive in terms of it's really kind of galvanized me to talk about these things and write about them and and try and do the tiny things i can to to drive some change mm -hmm. um which is why i wrote that open letter to the midwives um in for for aims um the association yeah. for improving maternity services um and well, I've, we'll I'm, put a link to that in the show notes heather do you want to just sort of give us an outline of what you put in that letter 
I mean, it was just kind of um, talking to them about the coercion that they'd, they'd subjected to me to through pregnancy um, and, and the behaviour after the birth, especially around the physiological um, third stage and then the behaviour in hospital. Um, and kind of explaining that I realised that they may, they may not have thought that this behaviour was wrong. Um, yeah. they, may, they may not have realised because they're, they're just following processes and protocols. Um, but, but that they are this layer of enforcement that, that kind of disciplines women or uh, forces them into um, kind of unquestioning um, kind of co-op- like cooperation with, with, with medical systems. Conforming, but you have yeah. to do things their way mm. um, and, and, and that's it. Um, yeah, and just kind of trying to explain to them the, the impacts this behavior has has on women and the structures that they're they're upholding without maybe realizing mm. would you say heather would, would it be fair to say that your experience with your with ted's birth and obviously what happened to you postnatally has ignited this kind of passion inside you to to try and improve things like you said you've written this letter to aims the association of improvement to maternity services it is has that your um I mean, you know were you interested in that kind of thing before your birth or has that been a pivotal point in sort of driving you forward from that point oh absolutely pivotal um so i i was definitely a feminist before having ted um but it's funny this is this kind of the birth world isn't part of kind of the the mainstream things that you you think about so i i did a um masters in in gender studies and birth was was just wasn't covered which is mad to me now because it's Mm. such a feminist issue yeah um and ted's birth definitely kind of galvanized me um and i it's mainly because so much of this is just hidden from view so you like especially that birth can be wonderful it's like it's such it's such a secret um whether that's accidental I suspect it's not accidental I suspect that there's 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 reasons why we never hear about good births and we never see them um which is why so I've I'm written another article for Ames that that will be in their next journal their June journal um about the tv series um, this is going to her, which was Ooh. an adaption of um, Adam Kay's um, memoir. Yeah, because show, shows like that do a huge amount of damage Absolutely. by normalizing um, kind of birth to be this this terrifying, inherently dangerous um, event that never never goes smoothly um and and also really normalizes obstetric violence yeah there's so much bad behavior in that show um, and in the memoir it's it's shocking um and it's kind of disrespectful abusive behavior that that harms women and babies mm. um and some of it's called out on the show a little bit like we we see some of his mistakes but what's more concerning is how much is hidden in the background yeah. um and and that just asks us to accept that behavior as as, as normal and acceptable um 
and and kind of contributes to that like there's there's a reason why I came into pregnancy assuming that it was going to be terrifying and dangerous and painful because that's what we're told throughout yeah. our entire lives birth is and we, we have no idea that another way is possible so we just kind of almost willingly accept that that it, it should be super medicalized and it should be full of interventions um, which, you know, of course, sometimes are, are right and necessary and, and the right thing for the woman and baby. Mm. But when, when you're not aware that alternatives exist, then you have to kind of question what, what choice um, and kind of informed consent women can, women can possibly have. Well, there was that, that, is it Dr. Raj, who was like laughing about this is going to hurt the clip with the woman who wanted to eat a placenta and he kind of got into a bit of a row with one of the other doulas and then he just blocked her because he didn't like what she had to say and you know and 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 sometimes for some women because I've been at those births you know I've been at premature births where literally really because the babies have been so early the only thing we can salvage is the placenta so it becomes really important because that's all that's left of this this birth that you've planned is, is encapsulating your placenta or making placenta art with it or burying it under your rose bush and it not being swiped down the hospital sluice or taking off a testing that you haven't consented. So that particular clip really hit a nerve because kind of I got, although it's semi-real and semi-fiction, I understood exactly where that woman was coming from because yeah. I've been stood in theatre literally wrestling placentas out of midwives' hands with, and the things I've heard, oh, it's illegal. It's illegal to take the placenta home. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, has, has to be sent off for testing when she doesn't want it to be tested. And, and I'm like, this is her placenta. And having to physically, like, literally grab this bowl with the placenta. And, and it's not funny. Because sometimes no. nothing else. That really, and that really, and I haven't even watched it. Just that I haven't watched it, no. I haven't watched it. I won't watch it. And I haven't read the book. And I won't read the book. So I so I had to watch the series to write this article, otherwise I just wouldn't have. But that that um that scene with the woman accidentally eating blood clots instead of her placenta and vomiting all over herself, isn't that hilarious? Is oh. is one of the scenes that makes me the most furious. And mainly because there has to be a less than scrupulous agenda at play in that because that is the only only instance we see of an almost uninterfered with physiological birth mm -hmm. so the only time we see um a woman having a uh, water birth without medical intervention the she's portrayed as this like crazy hippie that's so yeah. thick she doesn't know what her placenta is and then she vomits everywhere and also in that scene she supposedly had a retained placenta um, and needed rescuing. So, so yet again, we're kind of being told, firstly, that only a certain type of ridiculous woman wants a water birth. But don't worry, they'll soon learn their lesson. And no matter how much they fight it, their female body is just as weak as anyone else's. And they too will need a male doctor to rescue them. Oh, and it's, it's just it's it's hard to believe that the BBC didn't know exactly what it was doing by including that scene. Cool. And, you know, the, the 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 memoirs the same. So the memoirs got this. He he's really gleefully recounts um, 
how a woman's nine page birth plan in full color and laminated has gone. Can I swear on this? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he, these are his words. So he's, he's like, he's like laughing because it's gone right up the fuck and hypnotherapy is giving way to gas and air. It's given way to an epidural. And now she's heading to surgery for failure to progress. And he's so proud of that. And he's like, two centuries of obstetricians have found no way of predicting birth, but a, a certain denomination of floaty dress mother thinks to, seems to think she can manage it. You know, as if like that that mocking attitude and the mm. chilling triumph in a birth not going to plan, which which will not have been helped by the environment he created by believing that birth was doomed from the start. You know, it just it's constantly kind of seeking to strip women of their power and shrink them back to a manageable size and and just stick them back in this, this weak you know? passive box. We've got this is a common thread, isn't it? We see it, you know, the stuff that's going on in the US at the minute with the abortion laws. It's men making decisions about women's bodies and, and undermining um women and their choices, basically. You know? That and, and that, you know, that's being fed into the media so that then women that are watching the media are thinking that it's normal. And and okay. you know, okay. go okay. on Dr. Rand, Dr. Raj. I don't actually watch celebrity telly. So <laughs> to be quite honest, apart from the fact that I know he was the person who taught us how to do COVID tests, I didn't know who he was, but I find it really saddening and angering in, in equal measure that this is the scene that you found the these are the scenes that you found the most angering, and yet these are the scenes that celebrity doctors and medical professionals who are trusted by the nation because they've been used to promote the COVID thing all the way through the last two years, whatever you think about it, they are the public face of safety, are mocking and choosing as the hysterically funny part of that series. This was the scenes that he chose to put on his Twitter as hilariously funny, yeah? So you found them angry, I found it distressing, and he thought it was funny as a very public medical professional. Yeah, it's just disgusting, isn't it? That's what I think. I don't know what you think, Heather. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. And that's like where I begin to wonder what, what kind of agenda is at play? Because, you know, you see, you look at the, the press reporting of the um, Ockerden report, and, and, and that was a really, really important kind of unprecedented in, in size and scale report. And it, it showed that, women and babies are avoidably avoidably dying um in in the 21st century in a high-income country they are avoidably dying but you know for a whole range of reasons that um included um kind of uh, unsafe staffing levels primarily um which is leadership current, and governance. very current at the minute isn't it that the insufficient staffing levels uh, you know I, I had this question on the radio not so long ago and it's you know all covid you know because that's what's called the insufficient staffing levels i was like oh, hang on a minute hang on there were insufficient staffing levels before covid covid has just been the nail in the coffin really hasn't it so that's a that's a massive one yeah, so you've got you've got really unsafe staffing levels. You've got weak leadership and governance. You've got an environment that makes it difficult to raise and learn from concerns. Mm. But instead, all the press focuses on is um, this birth. kind of supposed natural birth ideology. Yeah. Um, 
and and then but also in the process fails to differentiate between a heavily interfered with vaginal birth full of full of interventions compared to an uninterrupted well supported physiological birth which which is important but you know when you see when you see the press filtering out any positive birth stories um or the need for tangible government-led change and preferring instead the narrative of faulty female bodies and, and laying the blame at supposedly ideologically obsessed female midwives, doulas, NCT practitioners. Um, it's, it's really hard to believe that there isn't some kind of not great agenda going on. So, yeah. so many, so many of those stories were about induction and nothing to do with physiological birth. Yeah. And I have yeah. long been saying as a doula, so long that there are too many inductions. So when they ended the cesarean rate targets and everybody was up in arms about that, I was saying, well, hang on a second, because there are women being forced through barbaric inductions. There should be cesareans that yes. are, you know, the, you know, and I've been saying that for a long time. And then I had people on my, on, mostly on Instagram, banging on about my ideology. And I'm saying what, mm. the ideology, what I've been saying for a long time, some of these inductions should be cesareans. We don't bang on. I don't know anybody at all who bangs on about physiological everyday birth being perfect for everybody anyway. No, but also that you know there are so many unnecessary injections of labour anyway that end in cesarean. So you know, I don't know how you sat. I don't know how you sat through that whole series. How that was terrible. You know, um, I my a very close friend of mine. wanted an elective cesarean um and and she had some very valid reasons why and was originally told no um and had to go through quite a big complaints process to have a have her wishes respected and that that really bothers me too you know i'm not i'm not saying that i'm absolutely not saying that all births should be physiological but these the, the the core issue of all of this is that women are not being listened to and they're not being respected and they're yeah. not being supported in their choices absolutely and that's the issue yeah and the, and the the assumption that someone else actually knows better than that person having that baby it's undermining and it's, it's, it's disrespectful and it's it's misogyny um mm. it's it's a patriarchal medical system uh it was it was by no coincidence a male doctor that that told told my friend she couldn't have the cesarean and patronized her and sniggered at her concerns about uh inductions being painful and just was generally dismissive no surprise it it was a male Mm. oh my god but you see it's so still see it with with a lot of the female doctors as well because they are in that system and indoctrinated aren't they so they they take on that that misogynistic role as well actually the most patriarchal behavior i've seen has come from midwives yeah 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 that that was partly what i was um trying to point out with my open letter to to the midwives as well like do you realize that this system that wittingly or not you you are you are upholding with your behavior Mm. yeah 100 percent. oh my goodness (laughs) i don't know where to go with this there's so much to talk about and it's just shocking i mean it's yeah, shocking I'll, and it, and it's not shocking. And it's not, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sat here and it's not often I don't know what to say. You know, <laughs> but, I've been I've been raising the dangerous practice around physiological. Yeah, oh yeah. my god, get my words out. Physiological third stages, placenta deliveries. Yes, yeah. In South Wales, for years and years and years. Yeah. 
their knowledge and skill in this area is dangerously lacking because they see so few of them. I go to births with midwives who've never seen a physiological third stage mm-hmm. ever. They've never and I must seen admit, a- as a doula, you sort of, you know, when I first, sort of first started being a doula, I'd be like, right, let's make sure that this, this person is protected during their birth. And then the baby's born and you can just breathe. And it's like, actually, no, you can't. You have to still then be on edge and make sure that nothing's touched and that they don't start interfering. Because that's the one thing. As soon as that baby's out, they're like vultures coming in trying yeah, to do Have you things. ever thought, Heather, of following up your complaint and seeing mm. if they've actually done anything? Yeah, so I, I did try and join, um, um, oh, I forget what it's called, but where oh. they have the um, patient liaison or, or uh, patient, patient voices. voices or, yeah. Yeah, but I just, I just found it too difficult to be kind of on on zoom calls with the midwives uh that that, that cause this and yeah yeah i just i i would like to but i I find it too hard to engage with the the maternity services at the minute and i think actually you you know you are incredibly strong and brave to put that complaint in in the first place because so many women and families that go through traumatic experiences just don't have the energy or mm. you know we talk about spoons in our house don't have the spoons to deal with that when you've got a newborn you've you in your particular case Heather you've got something through surgery a, a physical and emotional distress there involved in your in your case that you just don't have the, the capacity to to go down that route so the fact that you actually raised a complaint I think you know you, you need to take you know pat yourself on the back for that because a lot of people don't won't even go down that route and understandably because who'd want to who wants to dig all that up after you've been through a traumatic experience and who wants to you know go over everything with with people that probably aren't gonna care actually i find a lot of the mvp meetings very problematic to be honest well yeah listen to our last podcast about mvps (laughs) they seem to be very heavily healthcare professional dominated 100 percent, yeah um and controlling the room and in england there is statutory requirements in wales it's different because they're not even a statutory requirement either Mm. but i struggle with them there's one that's the come tap one is really nice um I've got to be honest they invited me to go and they know that I'm going to say really difficult things so I feel that they they wanted it if you like yeah, they, yeah. They, they welcome the difficultness of what I come out with but I've never felt the same way about some of the other trusts and I don't have time to go to them all but no, I find no. them very very NHS centric when they're supposed to be patients voices and patient centric but I also think that you know we, we talked about this before Sam is that the the complaints procedure um it is not really um it's not independent independent yeah and so you know you're you're basically like sam's analogy is you're you're basically talking to the abuser you're going you know who Mm. who that's come out has been um, a victim of of obstetric violence who wants to then go back and talk to their perpetrator no and actually it's not just maternity services just before we started this podcast I've just opened a letter from the Board of Governors of my children's school telling me that they can't run my complaints and they want me to take it back to the head teacher. Except I don't want to take it back to the head teacher because their school is exactly the people who I feel have let us down and they yeah. want me to run the complaints process through the same people yeah. that I'm complaining about. It's, it's exactly the same. I'm beginning to wonder if it's all public sector, to be honest. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but, you know, um, 
I, I tried to complain to the police um, because a crime had been committed um, yeah. and I'd, I'd been held captive. Um, and they, they, they told me that it wasn't something they could investigate and wasn't in their remit and I'd have to go through the hospital. Uh, like, yeah. imagine, imagine that. Oh my God, that, that's just ridiculous. That is absolutely- asking, asking the criminal to investigate their own crime. Yeah, no. and you know, obstetric violence, I, I've said this and I said this on the on the podcast, Becky was just saying, if they were genuinely interested in change at all, they would make maternity complaint services completely independent of maternity services. Yeah. They were genuinely, genuinely interested in making change, but they're not interested in making change. I do so much birth trauma work with women who've tried to go through, but you know, they come to me after they've been through the NHS birth afterthought service. And they just get blamed for their literally own trauma. I just, yeah, birth afterthoughts, it literally is an afterthought. <laughs> well, it's about defending the NHS, as far as I can see. Yeah, it's about stopping it all that was necessary. Justifying the actions that were taken, that's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, Heather, you've done your article, uh, your open letter, which we're going to put um, a link to. And um, I don't know when this podcast is going out, but if your article is out by then, then we'll obviously put a link in the show notes then as well so people can find it. So what's what's next, Heather? Oh, I don't... Do you know... <laughs> I, I I think about that a lot because I'm it's you, you two must feel it too it feels so overwhelming the the scale of the challenge um and the the depth of the problems and issues yeah so I guess just constantly trying to find ways that I can kind of chip away at it and try and help and try and in, improve things in in whatever limited way I can um yeah it's it feels insurmountable the our, our maternity services are just in such an appalling dangerous way um but i think helping to kind of raise awareness and, and educate that other ways are possible because then hopefully more women start demanding these things and yeah, um start questioning a little bit more and that that forces change it's my hope yeah that that's yeah. the thing it's like those little ripples isn't it I always think as a doula I used to work in the NHS I used to work in maternity and it felt like I was helping a lot of people but in a very small way whereas as a doula I'm helping less people but I feel I'm helping them in a bigger way that's a bit more impactful on the long term for them and I feel like running the groups enables me to help a lot of people yeah. um, and I'm quite open about the fact that I use the money from the people who can afford to pay me to help me support the people who can't afford to pay me yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. this um and a lot of what I do now is is free well sort of a lot of what I do has always been free but um that's another podcast <laughs> and it is beginning to it is about for me because it is overwhelming and I'm not just involved in supporting people in maternity services anymore I also do a lot of support of women who are wrapped up with social services and beginning to dabble in education as well because of our own poor experiences um, and I find it across the board all public sector organizations are pretty much the same they're all coercive they're all punitive there's very little actual practical support so I do try and look at who I help so to stop it being overwhelming I think well if I make I say that if we make a difference the world of one woman we've changed that everything yeah. because that's well, the we only do have to have our boundaries to protect our own mental health as well around that but you know like like you said um a moment ago Heather it's it's about 
you know, just trying to help those that you can um, and hope that, you know, people start speaking up because I think that's the only way it's going to change is that people start demanding things or, you know, shouting about things that have, you know, gone wrong for them, like your particular story. It, and this is the part of the reason why we do the podcast. It's mm-hmm. getting the word out there. It's telling people, you know, this isn't on. This has happened to you, then that is not acceptable. And you have the right to be angry and you have a right to stand up and say, actually, what you did to me was wrong. And, and, it's and yeah. doing the podcast helps protect our mental health because it gives us an outlet for what we see and experience. Yeah. We're not bottling it up inside. But we also the help. people that come on as well. It, you know, it's, sometimes it's just really nice to have someone listen to your story as well and to have it, you know, your feelings validated. So hopefully you have felt that today, Heather. We have doulaed you. <laughs> I think that you're left there. Yeah. Your letter will your letter went viral. It like it turns up in all sorts of places. Your open letter through Ains. It turns up in all sorts of places. I didn't I kept seeing it like everywhere in different places. And I think that it makes people when people like you share your story, it makes other people not feel so alone. Yeah. When they see women coming forward and speaking and saying, How dare you? I think that was the sentence that really said, How dare you do that to me? How dare you? When other people say that. They feel really validated, even if they don't speak. They feel that they're not alone, that yeah, what happened yeah. to them actually was wrong. And the fact they've got a healthy baby doesn't excuse that. And it makes a massive difference when people like you speak up. We can speak up all the time, but we're not it's, it's not as impactive as when you do, as when women do, as when those who've just given birth do. Well, I don't think it is anyway. You have a much bigger impact than we do. So Heather, before we just round up the podcast, have you got any sort of last things that you want to, you know, let the listeners know? Anything that you wanted to to say as a final thought? I guess, um, well, I, I imagine the people listening to this this podcast, I'm kind of like preaching the, to the converted here, really, but. Uh, just I would just encourage every woman going into childbirth to just research 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 and read widely take everything you're kind of told with not a pinch of salt but with 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 a level of curiosity and kind of dig into the evidence dig into the research um, and look for a wide perspective um, and not take everything at face value and and not not the women should have to assume complete responsibility but to really take ownership of of their pregnancy and birth and really drive decisions I mean of course we have to accept that things certain things are outside our control and and things can go wrong and thank god for the medical services when they do but there's there's lots that is in our power that can kind of help us prepare for for the best pregnancy and the best birth possible um, and contingency planning that we can do so that we are fully prepared in those moments of emergency of, of what we would expect to see happen and what we're, we're happy to consent to or not because you can't make those decisions for yourself in the moment um, and, and just thank goodness um, for people like you and the work you do and, and definitely Sam's groups which I've found such a valuable source of information I, I just would not have had any idea of the kind of choices and options I had without being able to talk to other women and, and learn from their experiences. So so thank you both for the work you do. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Really useful. I know that this conversation is going to be incredibly useful for a lot of people that potentially might be going through this 
um, you know, or come across it in, in the future in their pregnancies. So thank you for coming on and sharing your experience. Um, it's been really interesting, although horrifying at the same time, um, to, to listen to your story. And I wish you and your family and your little Ted uh, all the best. <laughs> thank you. Have any last words as Heather's doula? Go on, give us some gems. <laughs> no, I don't have any words. It was incredibly distressing for Heather. It was incredibly distressing for Rob. I was incredibly distressed as well. Um, even after all this time, not one single of the midwives that I emailed ever emailed me back, ever. They're not interested in what I have to say, and I have found that consistently with that particular trust. They have no real, they don't want to listen. It's not that. because you're too much, too much trouble, Sam. That's what it is. You're yeah, a troublemaker. <laughs>
I, I'm devastated. I will. It's awful what happened. And I have no doubt what continues to happen in that hospital while birth partners and doulas are still locked out. And while women are still yeah. in there on their own, because we still have in South Wales, some of the most restrictive birth partner practices in the UK. I find it incredulous that I can go, I could go, my, my children are going to see my chemical romance in a couple of weeks, yeah? I could go to my chemical romance with all of my midwife friends, but I'll still be locked out of the hospital. Yeah, yeah. But this is the fight, isn't it? This is the... And that goes back to what Heather was saying about what agenda is going on, because I don't believe they want partners and doulas back in the birth no, rooms. I don't think they do either, no. And we could do a whole, another whole bloody cop. And Heather's, Heather's shaking her head around. on that. I overshared your birth story there, Heather. Just say, and we'll take it back out again. <laughs> or and like, but like, not to get not to get right back into things. But the the, the fact that the midwife didn't know how to manage a physiological third yeah. stage, or just a normal placenta delivery, yeah. we're going to start seeing that more and more. But at more stages of of of, of yeah. birth because you know, as we've got midwife led units and home births closing across the country, seeing an uninterrupted birth is going to become more and more uncommon Good and reach, more and more vaginal deliveries. You know, and twin yeah, vaginal. it's going to well. They it's also people just aren't going to know. They also didn't know how to tell whether you were having a baby without you having a vaginal examination. I don't know if you even remember that bit. Yeah, I do. How will we tell? I'm thinking. But it was so obvious. Like, if, if you could take a ruler and turn a ruler into a straight line of how birth unfolds, Heather's birth, your birth unfolded beautifully. You could yeah. literally watch it. Anybody who's done my stages of birth workshop, right, it was there in a straight line. Literally, every stage was clearly... As it should be. As it should be. There. And they didn't know. And, and you sat there as a doula thinking, how do you not know? How can you not? And I think it's just they don't use observation. They're not also, taught I think, to use... I think with, with the placenta oh, thing, the percentage of physiological third stage and things like that, I agree with you, Heather, in terms of there is a real, there are some real gaps in certain trusts in terms of their training around physiological third stage and man managed third stage. I've seen it. I've seen it as well. But also they don't communicate that to people because it's just a case of, oh, managed third stage, we'll just give you an injection. And they don't tell you about what the consequences of giving that injection are. The fact that they have a time limit then to get that placenta out because your uterus is contracting. And that, you know, what if that doesn't come out when that uterus is contracted? They don't talk about those things with people. And it's, oh no, it's just an injection. So that, that kind of information giving, um, you know, and there are millions of other examples in that whole pregnancy and labor and birth, you know, journey that we could give of, of that happening, that kind of, it's just this. We just do that without giving actually the full information and what those potential consequences that could happen, giving that, uh, you know, the cascade of interventions. It's, it's endless. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're going to stop the podcast there before we get in, open another can of worms because we have several. <laughs> I've got like a whole ton of them on my desk. <laughs> I'm like, great, we've got plenty of podcasts to do <laughs> in the future. <laughs> so Heather, thank you again for sharing your story. It's been absolutely amazing to have you. I am really looking forward to reading that next article that comes out, but I'm definitely not going to be watching the programme. <laughs> and I am very thank grateful you. that you have complaints and made yeah, noise. Absolutely. Because it's not acceptable what happened to you. And no. so many people don't have the strength and that's not their fault. 
to make those complaints. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you again, Sam, for joining us as usual. It's lovely to have my little buddy with me and always great to see you on Zoom when you're so far away from me. <laughs> Thanks, so, Heather. Thanks, Becky. Um, see you all again on the next podcast. Thank you for listening to the Birth Activists podcast. Until next time.